So we are uh, in a series of messages right now through uh, the same parable, the parable that's often called the prodigal son that uh, we are sort of uh, revisiting with the idea that the, the prodigal one in the story is really the father. Uh, prodigal just means the one who spends everything, the one who is extravagant. And we see the father in this story um, extravagantly loving his son and uh, sort of recasts for us a familiar story. And we've been using this parable as a, as a sort of a lens for looking at ourselves and what this says about us, who we are, who we are not, um, what defines us and what needs to define us. And today we're taking a look at our own hearts and what the parable says about uh, the human heart, about our hearts, and trying to redefine what it is we need. What does this parable tell us uh, we need from our relationship with God? What is it that all of us universally hold in common in terms of our need for grace? So I want to read this parable with that in view uh, as we read through it, be thinking about what it says about our own heart and what it says about what we truly and deeply need the most in our relationship with God. So I'm going to start in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, and I'm going to read through verse 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to the father went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older brother, the older son, was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So, you know, I think about in my own life those times when my father came to me. Most of the time it's because I deserved something that he was about to bring right um and we all have these images these ideas of of who god is and how we relate to him or don't based on the ways in which our fathers came to us or didn't and Jesus understands this. He understands the the pull of a father on the soul of a child. And he goes to this story knowing that we all have, let's call them deficits in terms of how we relate to God that come through the ways our father's came to us or didn't come to us when we were growing up. And Jesus casts this image of a father that, frankly, is shocking. First of all, that we've talked about this a little bit, the, the kid comes and says, I want my inheritance now. And the father's like, no, okay. Let's, uh, let's you know, carve up some property and, I don't know, sell some sheep and let's settle the account. Here you go. And the kid goes off and does exactly what his brother accused him of and gets hungry, thinks about it. It's like, yep, I think what I really need to eat first is a little humble pie and then I'll go back to dad. And he comes back, and the father does something else that's completely unexpected. Uh, I don't think it's just first century fathers who would uh, be prone to reply to this return of their wayward son uh, in ways other than what's described here. You know, we, can, we could expect, um, I told you, so, uh, or uh, you're going to 
you're going to have a little bit of uh, reckoning to do here, son. And it's, it's interesting. The son is expecting that. When he comes back, he's, he says to himself, I, I want to work off my debt. I want to go to work for my dad. Which is a totally different relationship than he had had previously to his dad. right? So he says, I, I don't deserve to be a son anymore. I, I want to just go work this off. I want to go work this out. I'm going to go back to work. And we find this father who does something completely unexpected. He just throws convention to the wind and goes running to his son and embraces him, puts the sandals on his feet, the robe on his back, the ring on his finger, and completely restores the place of his lost son and indeed celebrates the return, right? Um, Important to keep in mind the context. There are three stories Jesus tells. We talked about this with the kids. Um, The story of the lost sheep, When the shepherd leaves the 99, he goes and finds the lost sheep. When he returns, he celebrates. The woman loses a coin. She turns the house inside out. She finds it. She calls her friends over and celebrates. When the lost son finally comes home, the father celebrates. So you you get, like, if Jesus says it three times, I might actually pick up on it. Right? I might actually go, oh, there's something going on here. Well, let's just let's start with this. What does this tell us about God the Father? What is Jesus trying to communicate about God the Father to our hearts? What do we need to know about God that's revealed in this story? And the, the call that Jesus is setting in front of us is that each of us need to encounter the initiating love of the Father. The love that catches us off guard. The love that just does a complete end around on... Sorry, Calvin. Not that that could be done against Reagan. Right? No one does an end around on your side of the line. Doesn't happen. But on you know some other team... The end around could happen. I didn't say that. I'm not naming any names. Um, but the father just goes completely around convention, expectation, obligation, and, you know, I guess to carry the metaphor out, he just runs it all the way in. Um, we see this image of or we need to see this image of him coming to us, of God coming to us um, when we are a long way off and when we're right there, like the older brother, right there, in right where we're supposed to be, but our hearts have cut us off from our Father. The older brother is outside the party, he's angry, he's resentful, and he's right there 
and a million miles away, just as lost as his younger brother had managed to get himself. And God comes, or the Father comes out to both of them. He initiates the, the rekindling of relationship with each one of them. We are to see God coming to us, and we are to feel his desire for us, his heart for reconnecting with us. And this is true for those who pursued their own selfish desires as much as it is true for those who repressed their own selfish desires. And we've talked about this in previous messages. I won't elaborate greatly, but there are basically two polar extremes to which we go as people. Uh, that you know, the best path for me is to throw off convention and just wildly go to what I want. And then there's the other personality that says the best path, the safest path, is to repress what I want and to make sure I do what God wants, right? And as we've seen, both of those paths leave those individuals in positions where they are very, very distant from God and in reality at different in different ways, but same result. We all wind up lost. And there is this God who seeks us out, who initiates his love with us in ways that are unexpected and undeserved. He comes out to where we are. Then Jesus wants us to engage in what we could call complete repentance. Repentance is one of the least understood of the biblical teachings that Jesus leaves us with. When I think of repenting, and probably when you think of repentance, we have a list in mind of the things we've done. Or, if you're really astute, you might have on your list a few things you have not done that perhaps you should have. Okay, um, And so, we have this list, you could just say a list of regrets. Things that are you know, indicative of the fact that I blew it, either through what I did or what I failed to do. And we, take, we tend to take this list to God and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Right? Anybody else? Is that, do we in, are we in common ground here? Um, and Jesus says that repentance is more, <laughs> oh, Lord, how can I compete with a puppy? Like, what on earth do you expect me to do with that? She's not even here. She's in Philadelphia. Take it, take it to Philadelphia. Um, Sorry. Repentance, something like that. I don't know. You, you can't preach repentance to a puppy. Come on. Um, this idea of repentance is not 
limited to this activity of going down the list. It, it's more than that. And it's not that the list isn't there and it's not real and it's not important. It's that what Jesus is calling for goes so much farther than the list. Well, so let me try to explain. He wants us to go deeper than the list. And, and some, some of us, why am I looking at George, may have a really long list, right? Okay? Like, we're talking voluminous list. Um, and some of us, why am I looking at Lois? It might be a fairly short list. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Mark has a, might disagree, but you can't disagree publicly, man. I'm telling you, that's not going to end well for you. Um, so others, others people's lists may be fairly clean, relatively clean compared, like compare the older brother's list to the younger brother's list. The younger brother's got him a list. He worked for that list, right? He's, he's filled up his page. The older brother, if you asked him, what do you need to repent of? He's like, well, I don't know. You know, I was, I like, uh, I quit early yesterday. Like I left the field five minutes before I should have. And you know, that's cheating my father. And, you know, I mean, uh, come on. You know, there's no, com- if you want to look at the lists, there's really no comparison between the younger brother's list and the older brother's list, right? I mean, Jesus wants both brothers to have the same response. Did you hear it? Did you hear that response that the younger brother gave? This is pretty good. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I have sinned against heaven and against you. And now here's where it gets weird. Make me like one of your hired men. Um, that's the heart of the repentant brother. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And God wants that depth of turning from the older brother as much as the younger brother. That all of us realize we are no longer worthy to be children of God. We are not here because we deserve to be here. We're here in spite of the fact that we don't deserve to be here. And that's what makes grace, grace. It's what makes it amazing, right? We shouldn't be here. We shouldn't have the forgiveness we enjoy. So to go deeper than the list means to drill down to our hearts. To get down to the core of who we are. And what's really going on inside. And we've talked about this a little bit in, in past sermons in this series. That um, you know, our sin is not so much what we do, but who we are. And so God wants us to go beyond remorse and regret. Remorse and regret, if that's the depth of our repentance we are creating what's called a cycle where I do something bad, I'm remorseful, I regret it, I repent, in quotation marks, and I tell God how sorry I am, I ask for his help not to do that again. It's about the doing. 
And Jesus says, I want to get down to this place where, where your heart realizes you're not worthy. This isn't about what you do. You can't earn your way back into my favor. It's grace. And none of us are worthy. And I've got that covered. I've taken care of that. So we're to go beyond remorse and regret and get to the root of our self-righteousness. And the author of the book that we're using to guide us through this series makes a great point on this particular note that all of us are in a control battle with God. And it's either I'm going to take the ball and run away with it or I'm going to control God by taking the ball and obeying in every conceivable way so that God can't punish me or banish me or what have you so that I'm here, here's the, you know, the equation if you're a math person. I perform A, B, and C on God's behalf, and he's thereby at least likely inclined to perform D on my behalf because I've done A, B, and C, right? So you know, most of us wouldn't say that God's obligated to perform D on our behalf, but our hope, if we've done A, B, and C, is that he'll come around and carry out D for us, right? Makes sense. And then the wheels fall off, and we look up and we say, why? And God says, it was never about the A, B, and C. That doesn't earn anything. It's, it's not about your ability to control the outcome. It's about my love for you. And so we have to get past ourselves and see salvation for what it is it's a control issue and we are surrendering control to god we're trusting him um jesus points us towards the initiating love of god he points us towards this deeper idea of repentance that goes way beyond the list and then He calls us to embrace the one person who is missing from the story. And we we talked about this with the kids. The lost sheep, someone went out and searched until they found it. The lost coin, the woman went out and searched. These are in the same chapter with this parable. They're the lead up to this parable. The lost coin, the woman searches until she finds it. The lost son, nobody goes. Nobody searches for him. And Jesus is making a point through what he does not include in this story. That everybody who hears this story should be going, why didn't we go look for him? Why didn't we go search for him? Why didn't we go find him and drag his buns back where he belongs? That's what, honestly, that's what my older brother would do. He's done it before on multiple occasions. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that guy, uh, I usually say bad things about him when I'm preaching because it's funner. That's a bad word. That's not really English. Just work with me here. Um, but uh, I can think of times in my own life and in, even in ministry 
where he came to me and said, you're not okay. Uh, let's, let's get you back to where you belong. And that's what a true older brother should do. So Jesus makes this poignant point just by leaving someone out of the story. The one who would go and search until he found and brought back his younger brother. And so he creates a longing within us for what is missing. The lost sheep or the lost coin both induced a search. The lost brother. Where's the older brother? Verse 25, he's working. He's in the field. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing in, in, the, in one sense and completely failing at what he's really supposed to be doing in another sense. Jesus creates a longing within us for what's not in this story. And then he fills that void with his own life, death, and resurrection. And he says that we are to look to the one who is searching for us. Just a few verses later, a few chapters later, Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. That's why I'm here. I am that brother. I'm not going to let you do this for long. I'm coming after you. Not for a reckoning, but because I've already reckoned for your soul. I've already taken care of this. I've already laid down the sacrifice that was necessary. We've talked about this a little bit in the in previous messages, but you know, you you see in here um, verse 12, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. What now belongs to the older brother? Everything that's left, the robe, the sandals, the ring, the fattened calf, the money to hire the musicians, whatever, right? It all belongs to the older brother. And Jesus says, um, here's, here's how I would play this story out. All, the, all of what the Father has is now mine. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend it all to get him back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow all of this to go find him and bring him home. It's at my expense that he will be restored to his rightful place. And Jesus shows us that he is the one searching, that he left heaven and came to earth. If you want a beautiful articulation of that, look in Philippians chapter 2. And he brought us back to the heart of God at his own expense. He says to the younger brother and to the older brother, rest your weary soul. I've got this. It's not about uh, your need to fulfill yourself. 
or your ability to repress your own felt needs to satisfy me. It's about my love for you. What I've proven to you is eternal, true, permanent, and born purely of love. So, our hearts and what we need is this unconditional love that God has poured out upon us through His Son, the one who came to seek and to save. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we confess that we are not worthy to be called your children, that we are not in a position to negotiate with you. We are sinful to the essence of who we are. And we acknowledge that. And we thank you that you don't just leave us in our hardened position, but that you come to us to seek us out, to save us from our sins, to give us forgiveness and love that will last forever. Lord, may that truth be real to us now and in every moment that lies before us in this life, that we might know that we belong to you, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done for us in Christ. May his gift, his sacrifice, his love redefine who we are and how we live. In his name we pray. Amen.